The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the program. This is Good Morning New York, and I'm Vince Rocco. I'd like to welcome our listeners from the United States and around the world. Thanks for being here again today. You know, it's 46 degrees in New York City today, a crisp and brisk day. Finally, after all this intense heat, autumn is here and it is beautiful. Let's talk about condos. The number of cranes above the Manhattan skyline, the unofficial barometer of construction activity in the city may soon start to dwindle as the number of condo units proposed under construction and on the market has plateaued after a three-year climb, this according to The Real Deal recently. And that existing pool may begin to diminish even further as tighter financing markets weed out those projects deemed to be too risky in the current marketplace. So some 14,500 units are expected to hit the Manhattan market between 2015 and 2017, so we're already in that that rollout, which at the current absorption rate works out to anywhere from four to six years of excess Supply this also according to the real deal. They reported that back in March. Jonathan Miller, president of the appraisal firm Miller Samuel, said some uh, said reason is simple. Developers this cycle are going bigger. Uh, while the number of units are up since the financial crisis, it's nowhere near the last boom. He said, "Quote: My rationale is that the units that they're building are significantly larger than the last cycle on average, so you have fewer units and larger square footage." Pipeline analysis reports Miller's assessment at the end of last year, there was an average of 71.5 units per condo plan in Manhattan. That compares to the average of roughly 88 units per plan back in 2007. Condo developers this cycle have moved toward four-bedroom apartments averaging around 3,000 square feet. But if lenders push developers toward smaller, more moderately priced apartments, the total supply of condos could increase. My guest today, Coors, Tim Crowley, said that's exactly what he thinks developers will do. Tim says, quote, the cheaper an apartment is, the more people can afford it. If I take a $10 million four-bedroom and I make it $7 million, the $10 million buyer will still be out there, but I capture the $7, 8 $9, and $10 million buyer. And where is the most demand? Tim says today, yesterday, and the day before, it's always a two-bedroom. I agree with that. And we'll get into that in a minute. So as I mentioned, Tim Crowley is Managing Director of Innovation and Design with Core Real Estate here in New York City, where he oversees project management, research, and sales teams. From pre-development to sellout, his team provides developers with market expertise and strategic direction on design and sales to maximize investment of each project. In his role, he also manages the incoming new development pipeline for Core. Having worked at several top brokerages in New York City in residential development, Tim brings in over 13 years of industry experience to Core. He attended the University of South Carolina where he studied history and real estate finance. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to see you. Thanks for having me. 
so let's let's talk about it. All over the city, new buildings are rising up and trying to set a fresh standard for luxury living in Manhattan, of course. Developers, building owners, investment bankers, designers, construction professionals have been teaming up to build the most innovative, profitable luxury des- uh, developments that we've seen in – we've never seen, actually. Housing construction permits in New York City spiked to reach 2,218 new units approved to begin construction just this past September, the highest volume month of 2016 so far, according to The Real Deal. Um, So the uh, year-to-date totals, however, are way down from last year when developers citywide could still take advantage of expiring 421A tax exemptions to build multifamily housing. Citywide, there are 16 residential projects or uh, 15, rather, or more apartment units approved to begin construction across the borough. You know, how are we doing these days with with all these facts and statistics and data? How are we really doing and measuring to all of this? I think as as an overall marketplace, um, the way that we're looking at it is – what is performing well and what is not performing well, um, and what we're finding is that the traditional uh, the traditional location, um, so a core location, can handle big price points. So if you think about a Tribeca or the West Village, um, you can really build uh, whatever you think is a, an artful and successful real estate concept. Um, when you get out of those core areas, um, you go to Midtown. Uh, you know, Billionaires Row is a very good example. Um, I think you're running into some tremendous headwinds where buyers are asking themselves, um, you know, am, am I going to be uh, still standing when the music stops here? Because uh, it was Billionaire's Row a good idea um, or, you, you know, sort of name the, the, the fringe location, I think, even a, a little bit in um, the Nomad uh, as well. Um, so I think that those areas... Uh, it's not as simple as what apartment uh, size should I put in Midtown. Uh, I think the first question is, uh, is housing a viable idea in Midtown? Um, and then when you go to other markets, either within Manhattan or within the the larger uh, five boroughs, although we think as a real estate community, really focus on uh, uh, parts of Queens, all of Brooklyn, and all of Manhattan, um, that... Uh, what we're trying to do is uh, create apartments that are um, affordable to the people that are looking at them. So, would you say you know, Billionaires Row? Just to to clarify for the listeners out there who aren't familiar with the Manhattan landscape, that's West Fifty Seventh Street here in in Midtown in New York City. But would you? Well, say- it was, and and then it got wider and wider, and it sort of stretched south. Correct. So, w- do you do you believe that you know from the start of all of that on Fifty Seventh Street and then moved you know wherever? Do you think that started what you know some people are saying the overbuilding of very high expensive Uber expensive apartments? And do you see that changed, or have you seen that change a little bit? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, that, that's definitely where the density is. I mean, when 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 we hear um, our partners and our developers. Uh, talk about uh, the scare, really scary amount of inventory above ten or fifteen or twenty million dollars. Um, it really aligns share of it. Sort of falls in that district, especially with the unsold inventory. So they're saying, look, we've got seventy, eighty months of inventory at that price point. How could we possibly build here? And and, and these are conversations that we have about sites that are riverfront in uh, Tribeca. So uh, it, it causes a lot of stir in the marketplace, even though it may not be sort of an an actionable moment of pause, a moment for pause. Your comment uh, that I read a little while ago about, you know, it will always be the two bedrooms. So is that the sweet spot in new condo development? Because, you know, everybody in this town 
when they start out looking for an apartment, whether they're a first-time purchaser or whether they're a seasoned purchaser because they've they bought and sold before. You know, everybody wants new condo development. It's just one of those things here in New York City. But the two-bedroom seems to be, you know, in my opinion, the sweet spot from a price perspective. Even when you're talking about some of these more luxury buildings, why is the two-bedroom the most popular? I mean, is it because it's the, the cheaper one of all? No, I don't think it is. I mean, I think if you look at the overall human need for housing – um, and you start to assign like the scenarios in which someone may need housing, whether it's an, another kid on the way or um, just wanting more space. Uh, the fattest part of that sort of bell curve that makes up the human need for housing is the two bedroom. It's it's great for um, uh, someone who is currently living in a one bedroom and needs a guest room or a child's room or just wants to uh, have a new room in the apartment for a library, etc. Um, it's a very good solution for someone who is living in a market like Greenwich, Connecticut and wants a place in the city that has the ability to not only be in the city, but also have a guest come down or a guest come in. Um, you know, so again, it's just, it, it just happens to be the, the, the fattest part of the, uh, demand curve for housing. Listen, as a real estate agent, uh, myself, I don't mind selling two bedrooms or one bedrooms because as you mentioned earlier, you know, people will trade up, people have to sell because they grow out of, you know, sure. the size and the space. So, you know, they will get into that three or four bedroom eventually if, if, you know, life, uh, dictates. Let me ask you about 421A tax abatements uh, and certificates. What's happening with that? There's been a lot written about, a lot of controversy about it. It comes, it goes, it stays, it leaves. Rumor has it that, you know, it's kind of out there, but not really, and maybe coming back. Uh, well, I can't speak to the legislative side of it. That's just a, a landscape that uh, if, if we tried to to truly understand what was happening at uh, the state level uh, uh -huh. politics, we, we would probably lose our grip on what's happening in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, but yeah, 421A is, is more or less, um, I think, out of the marketplace. Um, it's no longer a factor when you're comparing. Um, if you're looking at two different buildings, it's very uh, it's very likely that neither of them have 421A. Um, you know, they are in the marketplace, um, and, and in sometimes meaningful ways. I think Hudson Yards is a good example. Um, so it, it, it is a it has become a very complicated process. So I think that developers that are um, conditioned to doing well with complicated processes such as related can figure it out um, but otherwise the certificates have gotten very uh, expensive and also uh, with the need to do on-site inclusionary housing in order to uh, un really unlock the value of the program um, it, you need a bigger site so it, it, I think you'll see them in some uh, larger sort of watershed type developments like Hudson Yards but you, you, you by and large it's, it's out of the marketplace so with that said so what then is the incentive uh, for developers to get the buyers coming in the door because we all know that you know when you have a 421a tax abated building your monthly uh, taxes are so low and so reduced for several years 10 years 15 20 years depends on on the abatement uh, so that brings people who may not have been able to afford to purchase these apartments to the table because now it's a little more affordable so what can developers do without 421a to get buyers to come in and now of course prices are higher so you know it's kind of like you know they're stuck in the middle of not knowing what to offer these people it's a great question um in a lot of ways when you're in the real estate market i'm in the real estate market um it, it feels as if um since the back half of the exit from the financial crisis that um, it, we all sit around the table with developers and we say, well, you know, affordability be damned. Uh, we're going to build big, uh, expensive apartments with 
the the most well known architect in the world, um, and or, or we're going to be fine. Um, I, I think that that worked for a moment in uh, 2013 and 2014. Um, there was a lot of pent up demand in the marketplace, but I, I think that what, what we have to do now is, is is really start taking a hard look at how these buildings operate. Um, I was in a meeting a few weeks ago, and I I, I made a uh, kind of a pitch for this idea that if if every condominium regime in a new building was a business, that a hundred percent of them would be bankrupt. Um, Probably correct. We, yes. we, we build these uh, you know, sort of in, increasingly complex amenities. Um, increasingly complex service profiles, and uh, what that means, that all adds up to money. So uh, when I first started in this business uh, with Louise Sunshine, I can remember we, we used to cringe when common charges would go above 70 or 80 cents. Um, and you know now I and I used to when it would go above a dollar yeah because right. I spent many years selling new development so that was like the threshold or the benchmark for yeah it's a very a, long period of time sure. Um, and now we don't cringe at all if you see two dollars or two dollars and twenty five cents. Um, we don't cringe, but uh, I think buyers absolutely do. Um, and and the, a great story I, I, I tell, a short one that I tell um, uh, my clients is that you know I, I've got a friend who who does very well financially, um, and he lives in an apartment that's too small for him, but uh, it's a co op, and the uh, the building owns the retail beneath uh, the co op, and they have they have positive carry. And he will not sell this apartment that's too small for him because they have positive because they have <laughs> because he has positive carry. Listen, there's something for everybody, right? Indeed. But what about the 80-20 scenario? So 421A, we have to take a break in it in like 30 seconds, but just so we can think about it, 80-20, you know, uh, scenarios here in New York City, you know, they uh, in some cases were referred to as the poor door. Uh, I want to get a little bit into that going uh, into the next segment because people do ask if 421A is going. What about 8020? And again, where are the incentives for people to uh, come to the table to purchase? All right, we have to take a break. But first, you are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. In Manhattan real estate, no deal is ever the same. Different clients have different needs. What always comes back to me, though, the number one compliment that I receive is honesty. And really, this is what matters the most to me. They feel that I'm their number one advocate. Without honesty, I don't see how you can be successful in this business. I'm Heather McDonough with CORE, and this is what I do. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back talking to Tim Crowley from CORE, head of new condo development over there. And so before we went to the break, I had mentioned the 80-20 scenario where some developers in town are able to offer this type of program uh, in place of the 421A. Tell us a little bit about that, Tim, and where are we with that? Are we seeing that stick around or is that kind of going away as well? Yeah, I mean, 80-20 is probably more prevalent um, than people uh, realize who live uh, in and around uh, Manhattan, especially. Um, For example, if you live in a high-end rental building that's been built in the last 10 years, there there is a uh, a, a very uh, uh, very high likelihood that you're in an eighty twenty building, um, but I, I think that for people, people really need to understand like how housing mm-hmm. works and how vibrancy in housing works, et cetera. So, I think the the eighty percent is is market rate housing, either from a condominium perspective or from a multifamily perspective, um, and then twenty uh, percent of that is. Uh, uh, affordable to the tune of uh, a mathematical equation set forth by um, uh, the city and the state. So, um, it, and what that means is it it, it provides for uh, people with moderate incomes uh, to live in areas that are uh, central to what they do professionally. So, um, I, I think you have to think of the twenty as uh, nurses, teachers, um, and, and that type of. Uh, professional um, it, it is not uh, akin at all to public housing, um, and I think that I think that's what the fear is sometimes well, the when they yeah. hear that split. But you're right; it isn't that at all. I, I live in an eighty twenty building, and I I, I couldn't I, I couldn't tell you um, who is eighty and who is twenty, and I, I think right. that's part of uh, that's part of life, um, and it's great. Um, it, it's a it is a critical. Uh, challenge uh, for the city of New York to keep people who uh, work uh, in schools and uh, work in hospitals um, and other sort of moderate uh, income professions uh, to keep them from uh, becoming super commuters uh, where they're commuting uh, an hour, two hours um, in either direction. Let's move on. So the number of resales has fallen year over year in each of the last four quarters at an increasing rate. Listing inventory reflected significant differences in the rate of growth between resale and new development. There's always a disparity there, but you know it's been a little more significant in the past year. Pre-sale inventory expanded 8.2% to 5,290 units, while new development inventory surged 27.2% to 973, respectively, from the same period a year ago. Meanwhile, the luxury market is the only segment that seems to be holding up, which only serves to prove that the Chinese billionaires still have cash they would like to hide here in the U.S. Is this still true? I mean, because again, we've heard so many things about foreign buyers, most especially Chinese, in, out. Now are they in again? They're in. They're definitely here. But I think that you have to think of them as Chinese millionaires, not Chinese billionaires. <laughs> um, the way that uh, that we see uh, the Chinese market as being most significant in New York is at the seven hundred fifty thousand to one point five million dollar cash outlay. So, uh, and typically, when you think about um, a, a foreign buyer uh, in leverage, it's usually maxes out at around fifty percent and is expensive. So, um, it really that that million and a half dollar, a million and a half um, a dollar to three million dollar price point is where the Chinese consumer is especially uh, fruitful. 
Last year, 16% of investment came from China, followed by Canada at 14%, and Mexico— People always forget about the Canadians. You know, I was just going to say that because they're very sneaky because when I read that and was researching that, I really had no idea that their percentage was that high. Second to China, and third is Mexico, which also kind of surprised me. 8% 8% of investment came from India, followed by Britain at 4%, France and Germany at 3%, and Venezuela at 2 With the Brexit vote done, high net worth real estate investors, both individual and institutional, are eyeing New York City and other gateway U.S. cities as safe havens. This being spooked by the uncertainty that has crept into the London market in the last year, not only as a result of the contentious Brexit campaign, but also because of recent policy changes involving visa approvals and real estate taxes on and on and on and on. Are we seeing British investment in our condo developments more now because of Brexit? Uh, And do you think their percentage of uh, investment here in New York City is going to rise up to maybe the one or second or third slot? Um, No, I don't. I I think that that Brexit, um, it was a moment in time. Um, I think there was a, a tremendous amount of Uncertainty uh, and sort of a global freakout. Um, global freakout. A, glo- a full-on global freakout. I would, yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, and right now, it looks like that um, it, that once again, Britain is going to survive. Uh, the European Union is going to survive. So, yeah, I think there was a uh, there was a hot second uh, where the uh, the world sort of refocused itself into New York. And I think that it, it'll still be a factor, but it's not going to uh, dramatically flip-flop some of the percentages that you've seen. Why do you think, I mean, I, I have my opinions and I think everybody does, but why do you think, you know, when people ask you as a real estate professional in this town, why do you think that Manhattan or New York City real estate is such, you know, a, a tremendous investment, regardless of where you're coming from, whether it's China, whether it's Canada, and we also have our ups and downs in our markets, and, you know, we've been pretty much uh, plateaued or flat for the last year or 18 months. Um, I wouldn't call it a great market. It's a healthy market and things are moving, but, you know, People outside see it still as like the be-all and end-all. You know, Doug Headings was here a couple of uh, weeks ago, and I asked him, you know, do you still think that investing in real estate here in New York City is better than the, than the market, the Wall Street market? And his answer was yes, and I agree with that. What do you think? Yeah, look, there are very few uh, investments in the capital markets that um, have uh, yield that meets risk. Um, the stock market is very complicated. Um, it, gold is even, uh, we've seen a lot of beta uh, in gold or a lot of volatility. So I think that investors, generational wealth, um, and foreign investors, I, I think that they see New York as a very stable uh, marketplace. And that's why they're here. I mean, we have very uncomplicated, uh, a very uncomplicated political environment as it pertains to uh, real estate um, and it's it's been very steady. I mean, if you take you know, New York City real estate market and its uh, value trajectory, and you zoom out twenty or thirty years, I mean, it's like a pretty solid forty-five degree angle. Um, so I think that generational wealth has a longer a longer view than we do, which is what's happened this quarter, what's happening in the next quarter. I mean, keep in mind the average investment uh, horizon for real estate is five to seven years. So. Let's talk about neighborhoods here. A minute ago, you uh, mentioned Hudson Yards, which is in the far west 30s. And of course, you know, we're very involved uh, over there with our company and some of the developments. That's going to be probably that's going to be the largest uh, new build since I think they say Rockefeller Center. But Manhattan's lower east side, for example, has traditionally been known for its vibrant immigrants infamous tenements uh, and hipster haunts, but the historic hood has now become the darling of luxury 
uh, developers. And with the Starkitect, you know, these fancy architects, the term Starkitect design condos and attractive prices, the boom has only just begun. In your opinion, what is attracting developers and architects to this part of town, the Lower East Side? And can they get the price points that they can in other more glamorous neighborhoods, for lack of a better way of saying it? Well, the easy answer is they don't have to. I mean, if you look at the land deals uh, across the Lower East Side, most of them were underwritten on uh, price per square foot sellouts, which are in the 1700 or 1800 mm-hmm. square foot range. So I think what they're saying is that you know all of the core markets, uh, West Village, Tribeca, um, any new housing starts there are going to be at, at bare minimum 2,500 a foot, which you run into an affordability problem. Then you you think about your consumer, it's a higher end consumer, so you start swelling the size of apartments. So it's not difficult for an, a new build apartment in Tribeca to be uh, twice as expensive on the whole dollar as a new build in the Lower East Side. So developers are good forecasters and they see that affordability is a problem. Um, for them as well as for the buyers. So I think they're going to the Lower East Side to uh, to find uh, good land prices. But all, it, with the added benefit, it has great vibrancy with great restaurants and uh, a lot of uh, vital services, uh, great location, good transportation. It's a no-brainer. It's an absolute no-brainer. And here's a shout out to our company, Core, a 10 unit Soho condominium at 42 Crosby Street, um, just hit the market uh, a couple of weeks ago with million dollar parking spaces. And, you know, people yeah. have stopped me and said, hey, wait a minute, million dollars for a parking space. And so, you know, the project finally kicked off with sales uh, asking prices from $8.25 million and up. Uh, and uh, we recently signed the penthouse for $25 million. So when people say to me that the market is not where it should be from a luxury perspective, I look at a $25 million penthouse sale a couple of weeks ago with a million-dollar parking space as doing pretty damn good. Uh, yeah. No, I'd say that's a, a good indicator that uh, good real estate and core locations is always going to sell regardless of what the press is saying about the market. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, but have we gotten any pushback on those um, on those parking spaces, though? No, it's it, it, it's more of a marketing device than anything. Um, but if you think about if you had a, a penthouse that was worth twenty five million dollars that had parking, and you took the parking away, uh, what would that represent to a buyer? Uh, in, uh, folks, if you're buying a $25 million apartment, uh, parking's an absolute must. So, And a million dollars is nothing when you're already spending 25. Yeah, I, I, it sounds absurd, but yes. Um, it's it's not a It doesn't move the needle. It's less than 5%. <laughs> but that's the absurdity of the New York City marketplace just in general compared to any place else that we, we look at in the world. Just our neighbors in the northern suburbs. It's crazy. No, Tulsa doesn't even sell parking. And, there you have it. So what's happening at CORE. Tell us a little bit about, uh, we've got a few minutes left to go in this segment. Tell us a little bit about what you guys are working on behind the scenes. You don't have to give us any any deep secrets, but what's happening uh, in the new condo development world as it relates to CORE and and what you are in charge of? We, we've got a, a great pipeline and a, and a varied pipeline, um, sort of true to our company ideals. We've got big projects that are very interesting, and we have small projects that are very interesting. The tie that binds is very interesting. That's what we like to focus on. Um, I think you're going to see um, a, a real sea change in the type of inventory that's coming to market, even in core areas where we're really starting to uh, try to solve the affordability puzzle um, and provide real estate at a fair price point with good amenities and sensible uh, sensible management. 
um, 16 projects in the pipeline. They're all very, very different. Uh, so it, it, it's an exciting time to be in the market. I, I think for points that you've made earlier, um, architects, developers, uh, marketers are all uh, interested in examining uh, the way in which people are living uh, and solving for how to design uh, real estate, which uh, uh, scratches that edge. I think that um, our favorite quote around the office is a Henry Ford quote where, where he said, if I would ask people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Um, <laughs> so I think we're kind of in that phase of advancement and, and rethinking of the residential landscape. And let me ask you this. Um, so, uh, and I agree with that. And you know, you're talking to developers a lot more than I am these days, but are they on board with, you know, what they need to do to be successful today? Meaning, you know, price per square foot, you know, uh, design elements and components and, and all of that stuff that I remember sometimes major tugs of war with them to try and get them to understand really what they should be doing going to market. Are they on board these days with the sh- little bit of a shift in we're doing well, but a little bit of a shift in the whole philosophy of, of pricing these days in uh, new development. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think they're all uh, interested in uh, advancing the landscape. I mean, look at a company like Related that is, it's the largest real estate development company in the United States uh, from a residential perspective. um, And even they are interested in uh, moving the design needle and advancing the built environment. I think the Zaha Deed building is a good example. I mean, it's effectively, uh, if someone is worth a million dollars, they did a $2 project that was uh, progressive for the sake of being progressive. And I think that says a lot about uh, where the marketplace is and where developers are. How do you think we're going to enter uh, into 2017? Everybody is wondering if the current election period uh, has sort of done a little more stalling of the market, yes. new development or not. But uh, I think after the election period, we're probably going to see a little bit of a change. That's my opinion. So what do you think? Up, yeah, down, know. sideways? You know, it, it, That's going to be tough to forecast. Not, no, I mean, it's not just stalling the new development market. It's stalling eating. I don't know. Did you watch the debate the other night? Uh, yes, brutal. I did. <laughs> just brutal. Um, it's become a sideshow. It's it's almost like a reality show that you can't n- not, not even, you know, I, I, I'm so over everybody, but you just have to still watch. Yeah, I, I think that, um, I, I think now it's such a, it, honestly, it's such a big gonk show uh, that I think people are just moving forward. It, it, it's a little bit different than elections that we've had in the past where... Uh, a little more stayed. Yeah, it's a little... Yeah, I think it, it's so over the pale that uh, people are more or less, uh, from a real estate perspective, ignoring it. I'm hoping that that's true, and I think you probably are correct with that. And I, I look forward to you know finishing out this year, however it's going to finish. But I think you know people are still sitting back waiting to you know, get out there and to do some purchases. You know, it's an interesting thing in this town, no matter what the market is or what the world's economic climate is, there's always someone who needs to purchase, who wants to purchase, who has to purchase or sell on the on the flip side of that, you know, trading up, trading down, moving in, transferring out. There's always a need for something. And, you know, a friend of mine was joking to me the other day uh, and said that if one of the candidates got into office and, and people were threatening to leave the country, well, that's probably an opportunity to sell more real estate. Sure. Right. So you're going to have lots more listings. You just never know. Anyway, we're talking to Tim Crowley from CORE. Thank you very much. We have to go to break. Come back and see us again. We will be right back after these messages, guys. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. <laughs> All right, everybody, we are back. And I just wanted to say thank you once again to Tim Crowley, the head of new condo developments at CORE, the company that I work for. Uh, you know, it's always a very fascinating uh, topic, and we will always be talking about it, and we'll have more to go uh, in the future. But in the meantime, the panel just assembled, and we're talking this morning to Matthew Cohen from CORE Real Estate, Niall Lundgren from Compass, Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com, and Deborah Hoffman is back from Town Residential. Woo, After morning. a couple of week yeah. hiatus, well, nice this to see you. This is business, mm-hmm. you know. you got to meet the photographers when uh, they tell you. Yes, You've you got to. And I missed you guys. And I Happy really New Year, did. by the way, because I didn't see you last Thank time. you. A happy and healthy New Year to everyone, because to we everyone. believe it's the birthday of the world, and yes. everyone starts fresh. I like that, it. That's a good outlook. I wanted to, before we get into topics, and we're going to talk about Madonna for a little bit this morning, but I wanted to just give a shout out to all of these people sitting in front of me and the few that are not with us today because our ratings came out last week that I think I posted all over the world. And my God, the numbers have tripled. I mean, you know, when you hear these things, you just think, well, what the hell is that about? Okay. Yeah. So in the month of August, in the month of September, you know, from quarterback, from year back, from two years back, the numbers have tripled. And when I see 20,000 people listening per show, I'm thinking, well, oh. you know what? Holy shit. Sorry, that's, that's like crazy. That's what I was thinking. So I um, want to say to everybody out there who listens around the world, and when my producer gave me the countries, you know, he always likes to do this, but when he gave me the countries from where people are listening, I mean, I literally got tears in my eye, and I could not believe and, and the numbers in, in these countries. So, you know, New York real estate is a fascination for everybody around the world, including all of us in New York City. But when I hear these things, I all I can say, I'm very humbled and I say thank you. I love these guys sitting in front of me. And without them, there isn't a show. So moving on. Here's Madonna. You can't mess with Madonna. Her saga with her co-op board at 1 West 64th Street continues after the pop star's lawyers filed court papers on Friday last week that alleged the board specifically amended residence leases to prevent her from using the apartment the way she intended. And and the reason I'm bringing this up today is because I want to talk a little bit about what co-ops are about and 
what these bylaws are all about. Madonna started the lawsuit in April when the co-op board tried to enforce an amendment to residence leases that only allows owners, children, or domestic employees to be in the unit when the owner is in residence. When they are in residence, not out of residence. They are interpreting this to mean that Madonna, who travels all around the world as you know, a musician and singer, whatever, cannot leave her children in the apartment with their nanny when she's not in physically when she's not physically present, and especially her 17-year-old daughter uh, alone in the apartment. This amendment to the lease was added in 2014, and Madonna's lawyers alleged that it was specifically intended to prevent her from utilizing Unit 7A, her apartment, in the manner that she intended and originally expected uh, when she purchased it. In 2008 for $7.35 million. By the way, she also doesn't live in the apartment full-time. She owns three townhouses on the east side. So my question is, let's explain to the listeners out there why a building, because, you know, most people who don't live in New York City have no understanding of how buildings really kind of lead you into, you know, their rules and regulations. And you really just can't do whatever you want to do, when, especially when you live in a co-op. So what is this about? I'd love to know who her broker is because, <laughs> um, I mean, at least with my, you know, very, very few celebrity clients that I have, I don't want to make it sound like I'm Pamela Dearc or someone, but um, <laughs> who's an amazing broker, um, just putting it out there, who's a big celebrity broker. Um, I always say that, you know, not, not that I want to shy people away from co-ops, but it's very hard for a celebrity to be accepted by a co-op building and a board because there's so many different things that come into play that bother the board and bother the shareholders, you know, like paparazzi, like, you know, just being in and out a lot and Mm -hmm. having different people. And, you know, these people have PR and marketing and, and, you know, agents and hair people and that follow them. And, you know, they're all in and out of the building. Um, It's, it's a hard situation, I would say. But she alleges though, that she purchased the condo in 2008 and in 2000, excuse me, and in 2014, Maybe because of her shenanigans and maybe because of whatever she's done or not in the in the building, but they've changed the bylaws or the house rules to suit them, meaning the board in the building, and to not allow her to do the things that she claims she was doing right along from the very beginning. Okay, well, here's the story with co-ops. Co-ops have all kinds of rules. Let's think about it for a moment. We really live on top of each other, next to each other, cheek to jowl <clears throat> here in Manhattan. Sometimes you can hear your neighbors upstairs. You know, no matter how thick your walls are, things happen. Mm -hmm. Co-op boards, for the most part, tend to be very rational with their rules. If they're going to put a certain rule in place, like all of a sudden they decide to ban dogs, Mm. it's always because something happened. Now, if they Correct. they filed any kind of amendment with the attorney general, which costs the building money to file, it costs legal fees, it costs all kinds of things, that means something happened in the building. It may not have been her. But I remember when my son, when I lived in the suburbs and my son was in high school in Manhattan, there was a girl whose family had a second home here and it turned into a party house. The co-op was not happy. It was a co-op, not a condo. And actually the parents were served notice over this because they were breaking the rules. So it may not be directed at Madonna. It could be a different resident who prompted those I agree that with that thing. but I also yep. suspect though mm-hmm. especially when I was doing reading the article when it came down to her daughter who is 17 years old I would mm-hmm. imagine that the daughter probably spends a lot more time in the apartment alone and for what you just said mm-hmm. 
uh, Deb, that, you know, the building doesn't want to turn that into a party apartment. I mean, she's 17 years old. She's a New York City girl and born and raised. The building has liability if anything happens because then the whole board could be sued. And even though boards who are individuals have insurance against being sued, something new started and a lot of people could be sued as individuals. And to right. and to kind of flow off of what Deb said, you know, to bring it to a co-op conversation, um, shareholders and people who are buying into a co-op need to be aware that this is their, you know, policies can change and that mm-hmm. the board can vote and that things and can happen. And they reserve that right. Whereas Absolutely. in a condo, it's much less likely. And, and just to jump in there, so part of the reason that this is even an issue is because in a condo, you own real property. Right. So there's very like your house. Like your house. Yes, so yes, a fee simple real estate. Right? Yeah. So there are sort of New York State laws and other laws that come into play where you could not do whatever you want, but you have a lot more leeway. You own it. In a co-op, you own shares in a corporation, and you're given a lease, mm-hmm. a proprietary lease. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of leeway on what the board will allow and won't allow. Um, but you know what's interesting is that a lot of celebrities. Like, ironically, like co-ops for that exact reason, that there is more privacy. So it makes it more difficult to get into a co-op as a celebrity for the reasons that Matt said. But the irony is that they actually often like co-ops more because it does give a little more privacy. They only accept certain people. And it's interesting because I remember when she purchased that apartment in 2008, she had been looking prior to that and she was turned down on a lot of different buildings Mm -hmm. and, you know, they just didn't want her. I mean, you know, think about it. Nothing personal to her as a person. I don't know her, but her celebrity and her type of celebrity around her. Correct. That's what Matt said. It's what comes with it. It's what comes with it. It's everything that comes with it. Anyway, apartment hunting is stressful enough as a couple, but it's all the more so when and you've been charged with the responsibility of finding a home for you and your little your your boo or your loved one <laughs> all alone. But hey, being in a relationship is all about picking up the slack when your number one is down for the count for whatever reason and can't help. It's not fun to go it alone, but with some forward thinking and lots of communication, is it possible to find a place on your own for both of you and especially for the one you love. Now I'm gonna answer first. Hell no. <laughs> so this is an this is an awesome topic. Um I can't tell you how many um just clients of mine, not even married, but I think it's the most fun, the ones who are engaged, mm-hmm. who are who are, mm-hmm. you know, newly starting their life together and they, you know, they jump into the process and they each realize, oh my God, you don't like that? I love that. Wait, wait, wait. I, but I but I love that. And I I don't like that. And it's and then I'm in between and my favorite parts are when I, I, I'm in a situation and I'm thinking, can you guys work this out at home? Like can you can I don't wanna, you know, I don't wanna Nicholas. get in the middle because I don't wanna be the hated but child. Get a, but then you get a little nervous if you ask them to work it out at home because you're not there to kind of mediate. So exactly. you don't know what's exactly gonna happen. It's really I, I think it's actually a really enjoyable um, process because if there are people that are flexible and willing to learn from from each other and work with each other. Um, I actually love being the mediator and kind of saying, oh, well, you know, um, so-and-so really liked this about this apartment and so-and-so like that about that apartment. So I think this might be your love child in an apartment (laughs) situation. Listen, I I think that's correct because I think sometimes the couple uh, really are looking for a mediator and they don't want to admit that and they don't want to necessarily say that, but I think they they want that mediator. You're right, Yeah. yeah. Because it's, it's it, just like anything else yeah. in life, right? It, it's yeah. kind of helpful. It's to, an objective perspective. Exactly. Right? Yeah, we're, we're, and, and to round out the, the the commentary back and forth. The only thing I, you know, listen, when I'm representing, you know, a couple, but one is seeing, you know, a bunch of apartments in one day, I will first say, you know, I think it's best that you do it together because invariably you get 
the person, whether it's the husband or the wife, the first time to love, love, love. And then when the second person comes the second time on the series of second showings, it's almost like a kibosh. I mean, mm-hmm. they don't like anything. And it's kind of like, well, you know, we spend a lot of time and money, you know, um, schlepping people around town. And it's almost a waste of time. I would prefer when I can to have them together. Always. It's it's good to explain to the people out there how, um, you know, it kind of works in this city in terms of open houses and Sundays. Because, you know, in most of the country and the world, you have open houses for like three or four hours on a Sunday afternoon. And um, I think that... It, from experience, I've found that outside of New York City, brokers are less comfortable with people coming alone if they are represented. Um, but here, you know, we're, we all have really good reputations in this room and we can, you know, email or call a broker and be like, hey, there, so-and-so, my clients are going to come to your open house this Sunday, take care of them, whatever. So having prefaced that, I if I am newly working with a couple, I will actually have one of their first experiences seeing apartments going to a bunch of open houses on a Sunday on their own because I tell them, you know, I'm always here for you and I will always go see places with you. But I suggest seeing them on your own because mm-hmm. it's not only a romantic experience, mm-hmm. but it's an enjoyable experience to do together. And if you're disagreeing or fighting or or talking, it's better to have, you know, have it just the two of you I without agree. me mm-hmm. there. To and then you come in for what? The second, third show? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Especially if they're just starting out. I Mm -hmm. I always send them out. Mm -hmm. I give them the places to go to. I don't let them just go Mm -hmm. on their own. You know, I say, here, this is what you need to see. Mm -hmm. uh, And here are the times and all that good stuff. Well, what I'm finding is also, and please, my my younger family here, please correct me if I'm wrong, but... um, most of the millennial generation really wants to do all the research and the stuff in the very beginning themselves. They'll bring in an expert at the end, but they got to do all the research. Absolutely. So what I tell them, and they do listen, let's say, just for example's sake, they're looking in the $500,000 range for a one bedroom, their first home. Um, I'll say, you know what? I want you to look up to 600000 and I want you to take notes every place you go. And they say, oh, no way could we afford $600,000. i will say, you're that's right. Okay. But I want yeah. you, well, that's that's not, you've got this great smile on your face, Niall, but <laughs> wait until you hear what I say. Because I want people to figure out what is real and what's a fantasy. Oh, we want outdoor Absolutely. space. Is it in this price range? Let's see. Is it in the next price range? Let's see. Oh, we want a fireplace. Is it in this price range? Is it not? And this way, they're able to sort through and do a lot of the baby bickering <laughs> themselves before they bring one of us in. And the, then I find people are much more focused. <clears throat> And they feel good, too, because they're in control. When they've seen a couple of things and they have it under their belt, and then by the time they get to us the second mm-hmm. time or the third time, you're right. They're a little more focused. They've already seen the garbage, or they've already seen things that don't make sense. We've got to go to break. You're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're coming right back. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com One of the things that I love about my job is that every client's needs are different and every property is a new challenge. So recently I got a compliment from a young woman who we sold her $400,000 apartment in downtown Manhattan. And she wrote online, Patrick treated the sale of my $400,000 home as if it was a $10 million property. Do you have any idea how great that made me feel? I felt like a million bucks. Impeccable service designed for each client is what matters to me most. I'm Patrick Lilly with CORE, and this is what I do. 
The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6. 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. Voiceamerica.com. listening to good morning new york real estate with vince rocco if you want to call into the program we're toll free in north america at 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 now back to the show all right everybody we are back and not that um uh, i want to get political because i do not do that but there's a story out there long before trump launched his presidential excuse me presidential campaign he was making headlines in new york city as a, re- a real estate developer his self-branded buildings are easily recognizable no matter where they are and have remained at the forefront of the luxury real estate market through times of triumph and his own personal bankruptcy. But will his real estate brand prove resilient through a tumultuous election cycle that we have been going through for the last 18 months? It's a hot-button topic, and New Yorkers, politicos, and real estate agents alike are wondering what impact his presidential run could potentially have on the prices of real estate in his buildings that bear his name. This is weird that you bring this up today because I was just having this conversation yesterday with one of my clients and friends. Right minds think a lot. Um, strange. Uh, but so having lived on Riverside Boulevard up until a month ago, um, <laughs> and, that's and, and also that's where a lot of the Trump yeah. buildings are for people who out there who don't know, there are about a line of eight Trump buildings in a row, um, you know, three of which are condos, the rest are rentals. I'm not but even so, sure he actually owns them he all, but I think he he they're, they're he just all his brand. He doesn't own any of them. Yeah, they're all with different... He doesn't own any of them anymore. Right, yeah, but there, it's, them. it's but, good to know, though, that they're all his brand. Like, they all have his name on it. But also so his company manages a lot of them, though. Trump management manages a lot of those buildings. Mm. Yes, but they are switching. Like, 120 yeah. is now ACAM, things yeah. like that. But, so, my point is, is that, and I have a lot of clients who live there because I've just always done a lot of business there. And yesterday, one of my clients who's on the board of one of the buildings was talking about how they're trying extremely hard to take down the Trump um, just letters on the building, on the front of the building, which is, well, actually, they made it past the first stage with the city. And um, there was an article about it in either the real deal or something. I don't know if it's possible, but I think it's very interesting that they're trying because they truly believe it's a negative. Well, people, again, you know, it sp- has sparked yeah. all kinds of conversations because of, mm. you know, what's been happening in the last 18 months, right or wrong. Uh, and, you know, people are sensitive to that. Mm. Some people are, and some people don't really care, you know. But at the end of the day, I believe it may have some kind of a long-term effect right. well, 
on the but they can't just take it down because legally he has a leasing exactly so he gets like 10 percent of something a year to have his name up there so unless they void that contract and And everyone goes to court and he will he will go right to court then it's not going to come down so it could pass baby one baby two but but they actually have legal contracts Mm -hmm. and i'm a firm believer that any publicity Mm -hmm. is good publicity you know whatever whatever trump is doing you know making a mockery of himself looking Mm -hmm. good whatever it is you know he's Mm -hmm. getting his name out there and and, you know, the, and, that, he, that, and, and he is the master of that. Weight. Absolutely, and, he is the master of it. And to and, not you know. and to not support him, um, because I think he's disgusting, for lack of better terms, for people out We're there who like political. him. We won't get political, but mm-hmm. I actually have to say, and I've always told people this. For people who know their his brand, yeah. and for having lived in one of his building my, buildings myself, he runs an incredible building, and he builds mostly, mostly incredible buildings Absolutely. with amazing amenities. The, all the staffs in his buildings have yep. always Tremendous. been amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go overseas to Asia and these countries that have these huge high rises that he's built, they're insane. I mean, they're, they're over the top in a great way, you know, take away the gold and the, you know, the, the, uh, the gaudiness of it. Well, the gold He's, needs to go. It's, that <laughs> it's a little, it's, it's a little gaudy, but it really is amazing how it's run. I, I was going to say that it's, uh, I think it definitely will have an effect. I, I think it'll probably be a negative effect because it's not just, do I want to buy, but it's what will my friends say when I right. say well, that's, I bought in that's, a Trump that's building. The Trump and that's just how yeah, people think. People think about that's it. That's the know? Trump effect. So um, now, of course, there might be people on the other side of the spectrum, right? 100%. So that's the thing. There are people that have just the opposite view, right? That think that this is the greatest man in the world. And, and if he does win the, the, the election, it will be a certain cachet for people who say, right. oh, I live in a Trump building. Right. right? So, so there's both sides of it. There are, but I, I do think New York, though, for, for New Yorkers, I mean, we know where our politics tend to be. Mm-hmm. So that's why, yes, there are international people that still buy and this kind of thing. But net-net, yeah. I believe, my opinion is it'll probably be a net negative in New York, at least. We, I don't know about other places. Well, let, let's see what's happening. You know, we got what, 30 days left, um, thank God, or 28 days. Moving on. Renting an apartment in New York City can sometimes feel like an impossible feat. This is especially true for people from outside the U.S., often do not have uh, the extensive documentation and credentials that most landlords require. Employment letters, tax returns, landlord reference letters, credit checks, etc. Oftentimes, renting in this town is harder or worse than purchasing. Believe that or not. You live anywhere else in the country, you, you know, you just want to rent something, you go and you rent it, it's done. How do foreign nationals rent apartments in New York City? With everything I just said being required. Pay the whole year up front. Pay the whole year up front. Or Uh pay something up front or offer it. I I just uh, rented out one of my clients' investments, uh, a two-bedroom investment that he recently purchased to a couple from Switzerland who um, answered my email like every 24 hours. (laughs) It was very frustrating. But um, they were coming to New York to do a one-year professorship at Columbia. Um, so they were looking to rent in Harlem. And um, so the process is very interesting because there's no uh, real process that the building has yet to screen them. So we basically just checked their credit. We, um, you know, they gave us a bank statement and they paid six months up front. Do foreign nationals usually have a social security number? No, sometimes yes, sometimes no. So that's the, that's the, the biggest, one of the biggest things is do you have a social security number? Yeah. And then even if you do, is it new and is yeah, how old yeah. is it? Because you have a history of credit. 
So you could pay up front, which a lot of landlords allow. You could do extra security, which I think is usually the safest thing for landlords. The reason why landlords, the, the, the savviest landlords do not do one year up front. And actually, I, as a broker that represents a lot of landlords, will say, do not do a year up front. Because what happens is, the year's up. Now what? Now what? Yeah. That person could stay in the apartment. Yeah. They may have no credit. Mm-hmm. They could just sit there. Mm-hmm. And so the question always is what happens in the 11th month, the 12th month of this lease? So you have someone with no credit history. And, you know, so uh, a lot of landlords, especially the, the more savvier landlords, like a monthly relationship. They want to see the rent come in every month. This is how they have the only one of the only ways you're going to know. I mean, there are some other ways, but one of the only ways you're going to know if someone's a good tenant or not, are they paying their rent on time? You kind of can see this monthly relationship. So a lot of landlords say, I don't want to do a year up front, but they will say, I'll take six months security. And the reason why it's six months security is because it could take that long to evict somebody in New York City. Sometimes they'll do three months or four months, but like the the strict, the most strict landlords, if you are a foreign national, have no credit or anything, they usually, with some other requirements, will say six months security. And usually you can get a deal done with six months security. Yeah, but again, it's a lot. I just did it. Six months up front. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly yeah. what and, I just did. And along the lines of what Phil just said about social security numbers, I'm finishing up a, a sublease in a condo package today, and these are American nationals. But want, what many of the buildings want to see now is not just a social security number because there's so much identity theft and fraud. They want to see the actual social security cards. That'll oh. help us. And I have to tell this is just a warning to everyone because I don't because, even know where mine is. I was well, say that. Actually, I, have no idea. I had I had to get a new one a couple of years ago, yeah. and and you are allowed to get up to four in your lifetime. <laughs> Huh. You know, I, I understand it. I do. But actually, I mean, these I have people, it somewhere. I just don't know I, even where Vince, to begin to Vince, you look. and I are different. For everyone else around this table, most people got their Social Security numbers when they were born in the hospital. Correct. So their parents probably had their Social Security cards. And that's how we were able to get these two Social Security cards to show to the condo board to let these people sublet. Huh. Mine is so old, it probably has disintegrated already. Anyway, that is Good Morning New York for this week. I hate to end that. Thank you for joining us. You can catch the show anytime on podcast or on our website, voiceamerica.com or vincerocco.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.